Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, this is Jose Ignacio Alfaro producer of Are We Still Talking About This? Steve Rogers is a New York City-based comedian who has been making others laugh for most of his life. Well, mostly his dad and Brian Regan, who he tours with. Steve made his national TV debut in 2019 on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and has been featured in multiple comedy festivals, such as Lucy Fest in Jamestown, New York, and the Manhattan Comedy Festival, where he was named Funniest Clean Comedian. On this episode, he talks about how he grapples with anxiety and talks to us about the first time he experienced a panic attack. Follow Steve on social media and catch him on the road at NotSteveRogers. Do you like Are We Still Talking About This? Let us know. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, on Acast, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoy it. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So excited to have Steve, Steve Rogers, at the podcast I, today. I you're talking to, to your wave. phone, not the microphone, right? Because the microphone is good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm going to be the mediator. <laughs> okay, I'm going to save that later, Graham. All right. So today in the studio, we have Steve Rogers. And Steve Rogers has been a theme you're, you're no longer a person. You're now a theme. Wow. Um, with the podcast, um, I brought you up several times uh, with Artie Lang, uh, Gary Goldman, with Byron Bowers as well. Um, I, I like to talk about you, but I didn't really mention your name because I didn't want to embarrass you. I didn't want you to feel like, oh, God, she's talking about me. So now here you are. Now we can... Uh, we can ID you. So I was always talking about you, Steve Rogers. Wow, I'm, I feel honored that you guys mentioned me. Well, you mentioned me. I don't think. Did you talk about me too? 
I usually don't have that level of awareness. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll I take can, it. I can nod. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I know, right. you, I know that you opened for Brian Regan, so that yeah. came up in someone's interview, and then I, I nodded. Oh, yeah. wow. See, man, I'm yeah. honored for both variations of acknowledgement. So what's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, God. That's what I was asking myself on the way here. I don't know. I think it's too much in the in my head. I'm constantly more inside than out. And that's a big thing with me. I'm like a self-defeatist. I'm an overthinker. I uh, I have that imposter syndrome. I've got all. I've got it all. I get the like a glossary of just mental issues. I would call it perfectionist because I I can relate to some of it. Some of the anxiety stuff I also have. For one, Steve is um, having a fear of flying. As do I. We relate to that. Yeah. We're all constantly texting. Are we, will we die? Not die? <laughs> stuff like that. Fear of death. I guess my question for both of you is where did this stuff start? Is it a, is it a lifelong thing? Because I, I think as I get older, as life got better, my fears got worsened. Yes, I'll go with that. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe because now it's it's like you have something to lose, so then therefore you don't want to lose it. Yeah. But I usually think that there's something kind of causal early on for most folks. Like for me, my, the, my first memory of anything is of anxiety. I was a little kid, oh. and I, I was maybe three and a half, and I was left alone, and I heard this piercing noise, which of course I realized later didn't exist. And it's just whenever I was by myself as a kid, I got so anxious that I heard this thing in my head. It was like an air raid siren. So I'm like, okay, uh, I'm a, not the, the mentally healthy toddler <laughs> that I'm sure parents would like. Oh. But is there, is, like, what's your first memory of kind of feeling like everything was crashing down? Wow. Man, I, uh, I don't put them in chronological order. What's the loudest one? The loudest one? Oh, man. I would say like the flying thing. I remember flying as a kid and being fine and being like, it was wondrous and it was amazing. And then when I started flying for comedy, that's when I was terrified. I think it is part of that my life was better. But as far as when it started with things, I didn't know I had anxiety until I had my first panic attack after a show. And then it took me to the hospital. I thought, this is a heart attack. Like, it was yeah. physical pain. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm dead and I'm doing what I finally want to do. I think that was the catalyst to realizing, oh, the way I think, not everybody thinks this way. And then I went to a doctor and they found out, like, yeah, you're totally fine. You're totally fine, except you have this condition where uh, you'll be somewhere in public and it'll choose the moment. That'll be the absolute worst for you in your yeah. entire life. Yeah. And that'll make you completely humiliate yourself in yes. an utterly uncontrollable way. But other than that, that you're, yeah. you're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't think that you have this condition because thinking about it makes it worse. So there's that too. Oh yeah, my God. It's the worst condition ever. Like I never think about a rash and get more rash. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Like I'm just making, how do you like, get rid of the panic attacks? Don't think about having one. But well, we don't Strange want you to have a panic attack here. I mean, you can have a panic attack here. It's fine. You should yeah. you have a license to. I, we, we do have the background to deal with. We, <laughs> don't, a, wanna, we don't want you to limit your own emotional a, range. There's nothing That's scary me, about Jessica. this. I'm on the top floor of a building in a small room. Uh, there's nothing <laughs> There's nothing that causes anxiety. Right in the one part of America that's been repeatedly in a, um, affected oh. by terrorists. <laughs> okay, enough. Uh, so, okay, but, rewind. <laughs> I want to know, what show was it? A show at a hotel, and it was in the middle of nowhere. I was hanging out with comics after the show, and there was these 
girls talking to all the comics. I had no interest in getting laid or anything like that. And they were all drunk. I'm hanging out with one of the other comics, and we're just talking about comedy, which, as Jessica knows, I could talk about for hours. And I w- it was all cool and relaxed. And then the rowdier everyone else got, I don't know why. I still have a fear of getting in trouble. So the louder they got, I'm like, uh, they're going to wake people up and people are going to get pissed. And then they're not going to do comedy anymore. And I'm going to be associated with the end of comedy shows at this venue. And sure enough, they're running through the halls, drunk, like flirting with each other. And then this guy comes out and just screams. And it, right then, it just started happening. I had to sit down and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. I also was high, but that has nothing to do with <laughs> it. I ended up uh, smoking pot with another comic, and like it just got worse and worse. And then I'm like, dude, you got to call 911. This is a heart attack. Right. I, could you talk a little bit more about just physiologically what it, what it felt like? Because I think that's helpful for people to hear. The beginning was was not physical as much as it was like, it was the most I've ever felt like uh, something bad's about to happen, and I have to sit down. And then... I started, I don't know how else to explain it. It's it's very cringy, but it felt like a needle was being stabbed and in, directly into the center of my chest. And then the more intense it got, the more needles, and then it just like paralyzed me from, I would say, the waist down, and I could not move. I, I was with this comic, RJ Papura, and I was like, dude, you got to call 911. I, I know it sounds silly. I'm like 23, but I'm I'm having a heart attack or something. Ambulance showed up. It was still happening. They brought a stretcher or whatever, and uh, I'm like, I'm going to walk myself to this. I need to hold on to some sort of dignity. <laughs> and I get in the thing. They put me in the ambulance, and I'm, I feel it being silly, but I still feel it. I'm like, I know this is stupid, but I, I can't. I know it's physical. It's not in my head. And like the comedians are taking pictures of me and oh, like making no. fun of me. Oh. Yeah, and uh, you know that's who you so want to be with. So the girls are all posts. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, it was before. I think it was before social media. I think it was before Instagram was a, was a huge like stories didn't exist. So thank God for that. And then, uh, but Facebook was still huge. So like there was pictures of me the next day going into the ambulance. Oh God. But uh, and then I remember the guy in the the EMT going, "Hey, you need." You obviously took something. And I'm like, I, I had half a beer and I smoked some pot. And he's like, you're on something else. Your blood pressure is way too high. And I'm like, no, no, I, I swear to you. Like, And he's like, you you got to be on something. And then I just, like, he's poking me with needles. And like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, that's what my chest feels like. Oh, God. And, uh, and then I just remember passing out in the hospital, waking up the next morning, feeling fine. Yeah. Feeling wow. so embarrassed. And then just going home and going to the doctors and they're like, yeah, we checked your whole system. Not only did nothing happen to your heart, uh, there's no weed in your system. So, like, I don't know what it was to wow. this day, but it's... Oh, it was a, it was a panic attack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was an intense uh, fight or flight survival moment that was left over from yeah. a time in biology when we had to worry about being murdered by uh, saber-toothed tigers or wow. other similar animals, I'm guessing, if they ever lived at the same time. <laughs> and I've never had one before a big show. Like, a Ra- Brian, the first time I worked with Brian Regan, and those moments where you'd think you would have fight or flight, right. like this is your first time opening for your hero in a theater, I was like, no, I'm going to go out there no matter what. And, like, when I taped Colbert, I, I was very terrified but i knew as soon as they touched me to go out there i was going to go out there so i feel like with stand-up i don't get it 
but everywhere else, it's certainly a possibility. Uh, and that's something that's kind of so insidious about it is I know for me, it'll just sneak up and I'll never be able to identify anything causal. But uh, when I start to happen to me now, because I have the training that I have, I can talk myself through it a little being like, these are the physiological symptoms. I probably have to sit down. My hearing's going to go. My vision's going to get fucked up. I got to try and modulate my breathing. Ooh. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if, if you don't know that stuff, it, it, people describe it as some of the more frightening things that happen to them. And these are people yeah. like veterans who have seen really, really bad things will be like, that time my Humvee exploded was bad. But when I was stuck in line at the VA three years later and had a panic attack, um, that was worse. Yeah, it's that's why I make jokes about it, because it seems so silly to explain it as a thing that's terrifying and really affects me but there's people that i know have physically gone through so much worse so i've the only way i feel like i can complain about it is if i do it via humor because i just don't people don't take it seriously yes yeah, steve's whole comedy is all about his anxiety and that's what i was drawn to because it really felt authentic when i heard some of the anxiety material material some people talk about being anxious i'm like oh this guy truly is and he's found a way to make it funny and translate thank you so um i think it's helpful for folks too because a lot of people throw around terms like anxiety and stress and it's yeah. more of a response to the stresses we experience as people growing up and or living in a society that you know people aren't supposed to live in where we have the totality of human knowledge in our pocket and the scary phone we just yeah have, like our brains aren't built to handle that shit that's fine right but the difference between that and clinical anxiety and panic attacks is a relatively wide uh, gulf it's funny, like that's where some of the jokes, I'm not going to tell the jokes, but the Colbert set came from was when I finally got diagnosed, I guess, uh, that I have anxiety, I told a, a buddy, and he's like, oh no, yeah, everyone has anxiety. He's like, yeah, like sometimes when I'm going to be late for work, I get anxious. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but like, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> like... <laughs> Constantly, I think that if I get to work late, they're gonna kill me. I mean, that's not what really, but it's like that's the difference. That's how it feels. It's so stupid. Like people don't. That's why I feel like anxiety is overused. The word absolutely, and it, it's affected how people take it in doses. Right. Yeah. I mean, depression's similar too. People will say shit, and I talked a fair amount of this. I, I always now have to think back of what have I said and what. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think at this point I'm fairly open about my own depression. But you know, you have people in your life who invariably say to you, "Oh, everybody gets sad," and be like, "I understand that. I yeah. understand that sadness is part of the range of human emotions. I don't want to be alive anymore." Right. I think that's in a bit of a different, yeah, category. So. Side note: Adam does want to be alive. This is not his current state. This is yeah. um, this is many years ago. Oh, I mean, it was, it was like three weeks ago. But hey! right now, I, I, I thought it was that they, bad of an interview. Steve and I have free. Just like to, to, to. We can't make suicide jokes. There's been a lot of death I mean, recently. Not a, it's not a joke. It's a statement of fact, which is helpful for people to hear right. that other people are processing and, and going through right. stuff. Of course. Thankfully, I mean, like there, I've had low points, but I don't want to say the word because I don't think I have. Why suicide? Oh uh, well, no, no, no. Oh. Uh, well, I've never had that thought. No depression. Uh, depression. I don't like saying it's the same thing. The anxiety. D word. Yeah, the D. Well, I got to be careful when you say yeah. D word. <laughs> Can't say the D word. Can't I think I have the D. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, we're pretty sure you do, Steve. Uh, please don't show us. Uh, 
<laughs> I I don't like saying I I was depressed because I think I have empathy for people with it because it's the same with like I said with anxiety. So I'm like, yeah, I, I've been I had a you know a little bit of a low period or hey, I've been kind of down, but I, I I don't feel comfortable saying I was depressed because I I don't believe that I have it. So I don't feel like I can put myself at that level with those people. I totally get that. Sometimes yeah. I say if I even if I feel a little down, I'll say to friends like almost obsessively, I'm like I'm like I don't seem down, do I? Yeah. And they're like they're like no, you seem fine. I'm like good. <laughs> you know? And I'm like and I'm like I only get sad for a day. Yeah. It's true. I get sad for about 3 days out of the year visibly mm-hmm. and physically. Yeah. So where I can even feel like sick. Or just like my whole body will break down. I'm just yeah. like, oh, I do not feel very good. And when you like work, you work really hard. So some of that I feel like is just, hey, we don't take days off. Right. And when we do take days off, yeah. then I realize like what I'm sad about. Because yes. when I slow down, I'm like, oh, yeah. boy. Oh, this is what I've been neglecting or that kind of stuff. So that's why I like, I like days when you get days off, but you have no control. Because then I don't feel guilty for not doing anything. I know that well. And I'm like, oh, so now I can do whatever needs to be done or whatever I want to do and not feel like a procrastinator or that I uh, am not as dedicated as I say I am. And then it kind of like greases the wheels and makes me feel better. Do you know what makes me anxious when people ask me what I do for fun? Oh, oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm already doing it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I chose this career. Also, do these hits on an insecurity for you. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's always... I don't uh, know why. I'm just like, what? Fun? What? What do I do for fun? <laughs> huh? I watch comedy. Yeah. They're like, what else I, do you do? I'm like, I have a podcast. They're like, yeah. what else? But what else when you're not working? I'm like... Um... You, you, you socialize a lot. You hang out. You talk about stuff. You're into fashion. You make stuff. Man, you do... Yeah, yeah. Things. You're having fun all the time. I need like a one line that I say, <laughs> like a robot. I have things that I do that have nothing to do with work. <laughs> the, There's the one... no revenue stream. <laughs> <laughs> the one line I use is just go fuck yourself. Like go fuck yourself. My oh. grandma would say something yeah. like that. Yeah. So what's next for you? So you're on the road a lot. Yeah, I'm actually leaving. Uh, I'm flying today to open for Brian Regan this weekend. Uh, so thankfully, uh, still get to be with him a lot. Uh, I'm getting some headlining stuff now, which is fun and, uh, kind of already trying to work on what eventually one day will be the next, uh, late night, uh, and then figure out what the album would be. It's all about hopefully doing stand up all the time, which is, is the hope. What do you think would happen if you didn't do stand up all the time? Oh boy. I don't like, uh, so you really do want me to have a panic attack on, on the, I, I don't I don't know I feel like if I I would still write I would maybe write for other people but uh, this might be narcissism I have to tell my jokes like I've written jokes for other people and they've gotten like applause breaks and stuff and I can't hold in that I'm like oh I got an applause break like that's so. So I I feel like I can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need uh, stand up. I was talking about this with uh, with Caitlin Palufo the other day. We were talking about everybody seems to that does stand up seems to be missing something. 
you know, there's that theory out there that we're all broken and not necessarily, but like for me, I feel like that's the only time in my world that I'm dominating and I'm in control and it's everybody is, is under like, I'm the captain of this 20 minutes. You're going where I tell you we're going. And I think I need that. And also I love making people laugh, but I was doing some like analytics analyzing and i'm like that might be the it's the only time i'm in control so i think it's that and it sounds like your first panic attack came at a moment where you were, <laughs> were out of control yeah, yeah. yeah. that's 100 percent. and that's what uh the flying thing is i'm realizing is i can't tell the pilot to pull over like even if something bad happens we have a while before we get to safety or this and that so it's like i think it's all control which is Stupid because I don't like responsibility, but I want control. And you're clearly a very considerate person too. Like you uh, care about thank you, yeah, other people. So I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Yeah, but. it's it's weird. I try to be as considerate as possible. I try to be a nice guy. You can't say you're a nice guy because the people. No, but he really is one of the nicest. That's the thing. I remember thinking that the genuinely first time nice. I, uh, thank you. Met you briefly, but um, after the first one. Did you, so you go, you go to the doctor, you get your heart work up and they say probably something rather condescending, like nothing's wrong with you instead yeah. of being like, you actually have this very particular condition Yeah, uh, and this is what you need to do about it. Were there any treatment modalities after that? None. Oh, that's good. Uh, <laughs> they didn't even tell me, like, this is how my doctor told me. I was like, oh, what if it's this, this, this? He's like, no, you have anxiety. And I'm like, what, what about this? And he's like, no, you have anxiety. And, I, and that was it. I have to find a therapist. I've been procrastinating about that. And, like, I don't like medication. I take it for flying, but right. I take the lowest dose uh, possible. That'll help you in the long run because there's a huge rebound effect uh, with benzodiazepines for anxiety. It's not the type of thing you want to lean on. Yeah. The one thing that will work uh, is the frightening thing of going and seeing a therapist and really exposing yourself. And it's another yeah. control thing, kind of in the room, hopefully it's a safe space where you can let go of control a little. Yeah, I feel like I have to. Are you going to see the therapist that all the comics see? Have you heard about this guy? I have heard about He's the one therapist I've seen. There's one seen. therapist that sees all the comedians is it, is it in New York. Dr. Katz? No, it's not Dr. Katz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then I haven't seen the one therapist. <laughs> no. I I feel like with therapy, I know I need to go. Let's let, For lack of a better word, a term, like I have these boxes of pieces, like memories or things in my life. Like here's the box that has my parents in it. And here's the box that have my past relationships. And there's certain boxes I don't want to op open because I like how I feel about them. And I don't want someone else to be like, actually, this is wrong. And I, and you know, well, they won't do that. Or at least a good therapist won't do that. Okay. Uh, I definitely mean you like to compartmentalize your. Yeah. I like Wait, I, there's certain things I love and I don't want them touched. Another control. Thing, oh, probably. God. I'm learning so much. Uh, I need to just do this podcast every week. Yeah. And then I'm, <laughs> I should. I, I should. I forget to say that I am licensed nowhere these days. Oh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time, it, but I, I used to be a therapist, and I still now won't go see a therapist um, because I'm like, oh well, I need to find exactly the right one. It's been six months later. I have, I have yeah. excellent recommendations from folks, and I'm doing all the same rationalization and denial that I see in other people. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So, you know what I think might be good. Also, I'm not a doctor. I've just been in therapy years. 
for years on and off, um, is cognitive behavior therapy. That's good for people who are quite anxious because okay. it's like you write down like your sleep schedule okay. and you write down like eating, exercise, and you look at all you know your daily activities, and then at the end of the day, you know you you write down just notes and then it's kind of nice to keep like a journal that way to figure out how you feel based on what happened each day ah it's, okay it's manualized so that means it's uh there's worksheets and there's always a goal which i always liked and is also great usually for the anxiety cluster because the anxiety cluster and sometimes the ocd controlling cluster <coughs> yeah. excuse me there tends to be a lot of overlap so it's not like you're not lying on the couch anymore doing freudian bullshit talking about sexual impulses towards relatives right like, it's just not like that that wasn't my thing about my parents by the way yeah i did that accidentally <laughs> i'm like oh this is gonna be on a people are gonna listen to this i don't mom dad if you're listening i I like you as friends. I uh, okay, but I'm sure they're. You're, I mean, you're yeah. an attractive young man. I'm sure, they're, <laughs> I'm sure they're attractive people. Maybe I have we a shot. Well, good yeah. thing is that um, Steve's father, I hear, is a big comedy fan, Huge so he'll know that this fan. is um, also a comedy podcast. Yes, my both my parents are big comedy fans, and uh, my dad is a more mobile one, and he'll come. Uh, my mom has uh, MS, so she like. So some, certain cir circumstances, she can't come to shows, oh. but she'll like, I'll send her tapes and stuff and my dad will play tapes for her. But my dad or my mom will come with me on the road sometimes. They're actually going to come see Regan this weekend That's and they they love stand up. Yeah. His dad's a big supporter of yeah. Steve. How long um, has your, what's the course of your mother's disease? Uh, oh, well, Is that a... she's had MS as long as I've been around. She got diagnosed they knew, the doctors knew when she was pregnant with me, but they didn't want to tell her because they didn't want it to affect, the stress level to affect me, which turns out I just absorbed it later. And uh, they told her after I was born. So wow. I, I'm 26, so she's had it for probably 27, 28 years. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably, I'm just. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the one thing months. we covered in the one therapy thing I went to is because I'm afraid of being a burden to people. And that's because, oh, you've been trying to make sure your mom's okay. And make sure. Caretaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Why'd you just go to one? Because uh, it was too deep. I left feeling weird. I felt, like, I know that's what's supposed to happen. A, li it, a little. The first one, I used to like to try and softball it. A oh, yeah. it was not softball. You just went right in for. <laughs> yeah, it was. kind of awesome. But... It, it was, it was like a javelin right to the, it just. <laughs> It was an autopsy with dynamite. It was so intense. Oh man! It was it was helpful. Like now I know that burden thing about myself, and I try to be like, no, you're not. Like people invited you here. You're not putting them out. They want you. Like that kind of thing. But uh, yeah. So and it's weird because like uh, you. It, yeah. So it was a whole thing. And I haven't gone since. But now if you go back, it'll definitely be easier. So it's like yeah. you did the really hard part. Yeah. Now it, you, yeah. You know, but now you're cheating yourself out of the benefits. Right, right. Return. Again, if they're good, there are a lot, unfortunately, of uh, not so hot. I, I want to know yeah. what you were like um, when you were in high school, like <sighs> college. Like, wait, when well, did you start doing stand-up? Yeah. For, for men, middle school tends middle to be school. the starting place because it's awful. Okay. Oh, boy. Well... The one thing that carried me through everything was when I was I'll go I'll go one school back in elementary school, I in third grade I did like this play and right then I knew I wanted to do I wanted to be a performer and I and I was already obsessed with stand up so I kind of knew it was going to be stand up, 
So that carried me through. I was obsessed with stand-up, got me through middle school and high school, and it was mainly Ellen DeGeneres, Ray Romano, and Regan because uh, I would watch those. But a, a big thing with me in middle school and high school was girl liking girls and them no interest whatsoever back and me not knowing how to handle that. I wasn't the outcast, but I wasn't the popular kid. So I was kind of friends with every little group. But the big thing, that the catalyst for my anxiety back then was rejection. I was constantly rejected uh, in middle school and high school by girls. Never did I like a girl, ask her out, and she liked me back and say yes. But you kept asking out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because I'm an idiot. First and, <laughs> Yeah. That was a big thing. And then... Yeah, so it was basically rejection was the was a big part of my high school experience. And then I was a swimmer, and that kind of helped because I had uh, a team and, like, a schedule of practice and all that and some sort of uh, channel to get rid of the emotions by just, like, constantly being exhausted. Wow. But just yeah. like comedy. <laughs> yes, and now I replaced it with stand-up. I don't get rejected by people anymore. Well, I do. It's just a different type of people. And it does seem like you went to maybe the field where you're going to guarantee that rejection is going to be part of your life. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Like, this is challenging for me, so I'm going to confront it head on in a way, even if you didn't know you were doing that, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. It is. it is. I didn't think about it, but, like, when I was doing stand-up and, like, getting bombing and stuff, I, I mean, bombing, you... I'm always afraid of, of it, not afraid of it, but like, you don't want it. But like, uh, when I was doing stand up and I was getting rejected and people turning me down, I'm like, well, this is not as bad as liking someone and wanting to, uh, date them and them saying no because of you as a person. Th these people are rejecting things I wrote. So it's an arm's length rejection. So you're basically doing therapy on yourself. Like th those are some high level therapeutic techniques. There was a psychologist, I believe, named Albert Ellis, who came up with REBT, which I think is rational emotive behavior therapy. But what he would make his male clients do, who are yeah. of that age, is like, you have to ask out 100 girls in uh, this park. Oh, and they're like, oh, that's the last God. thing I want to do. But he's like, you have to do it. And by the end of it, they were like, oh, wow, that was terrible. But you know what? It wasn't as terrible as it was in the beginning. Yeah. How would you ask girls out? Would you pass them notes or what would you do? Text and like, you know, AOL was my wingman back in the day. And then uh, I've done. And Cook too. Yeah. There, yeah. there are a lot of similarities between uh, these stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm. Just as uh, popular as Dane Cook, so I couldn't see that. Uh, just as well known. Uh, but uh, AOL was my thing, and then I would do it in person. That was far and few in between because of the intensity and how scary it was. The start of, like, social media wasn't a huge thing, but I would say the start of that was helpful because everybody was being attracted to the internet, and I, it was how everyone talked. It was way before you like you would get a friend request from somebody and then not to talk to them in person. We weren't at that level yet, but it was like AOL was probably the big one, I would say. Yeah. Do you remember one rejection that was like the worst? Oh god. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I do. There there was like Come on, you have a girlfriend now. It's fine. Oh, I do and she rejects me all often, but that's a good kind. Yeah, there was this girl in high school that uh I really really liked cuz 
I was never thankfully the guy that was like, oh, she's hot. I want to have sex with her. It was kind of like, oh, the, rape, she... the rapist we call them. The <laughs> <laughs> Don't consider them at all what they might want. Like, that yeah. thing, yes. How do I, we make uh, that acquiesce? I to could my be desires? described as not a rapist, thankfully. Um, so I, there would be these, these girls that would make me laugh. I was always attracted to someone that could make me laugh. And uh, we would goof around and stuff. So. There was this girl, we were like friendly, and then I would ask her out, and she was, said that she liked me, but she would say no. And then I would try again, and no. And then it just got worse, ruined the friendship, because I didn't... That's not good that I just said I'm not a rapist, and then said I couldn't understand no. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I would guess, based on the fact that you were friends, that maybe there was also some confusion and yeah. mixed signal. This mixed signal. It's not like you came up to her at a Burger King and she said no, and then you're like, what do you mean? You know? Yeah, yeah. It would be no, and then I would feel bad, and then we would uh, have fun again and, like, goof around and stuff, and then, like, she'd seem like she liked me, and then I'd ask her again, and then no. And it ended up that uh, being rough. And now, like... I have a bit about it, but I had that happen a few times, and all those girls are now lesbians. There was four girls that were that kind of repeated with, and they're all so I don't know. That would so be maybe a, they were just always gay. Yeah, that was the thing. So it's like uh, then it's like, but then it's like, is it me? Like it's there it was it was this whole thing. So it was like I was actually an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object throughout high school when I liked girls. So it was it was rough. I mean, I can remember, this is an incredibly minor thing that I shouldn't care about at all, but there was something in either sixth or seventh grade where like a girl told me that she liked me on the bus. So then I had a week to call her. Wow. And it was a terrible week. And every day I would just think about calling and I dread, it's just terrible, you know, complete, yeah. <clears throat> just overblown bullshit. And then I finally did it like almost weeping. And then she basically said something along the lines of, I don't think so, and hung up on me. Oh, and like even man. saying that, this is something I don't think I cognitively care about at all. Like it brings back just the washes of shame that should go with like, you know, I kicked a four-year-old in front of a bus, like that level oh of shame. Oh my God. Some, wow. But, you know, it's, it's fun human experience stuff that I think people go through. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, well, what if I did this that I go through, which is uh, not healthy, so I try to get rid of it. But uh there was a girl in high school that really liked me and like kept, it was like the reverse of what I just said. Cause I liked the one girl and then this one girl liked me and then I never did anything. And I'm like, Oh, what if I had talked to that girl instead? And it's all that, but it's like, it's over. Try not to think about it until you do a podcast and then remember it. <laughs> but yeah. Do you, so do you look, you look up all the girls in the past? I don't, I no. 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 What, what, would people do that? That's, yeah, that's of course. Oh. I do that. that. I look up, I look up like the guy I, I went out with when I was like five. Isn't it just to make sure that he's not stalking you? <laughs> no, I'm just oh. curious. Like, oh, was this person hot now? What's going on? I can't Are they married? It. Most of them, like I, I'm telling you, so like half of them, well not half, like two of them are gay. The one that I liked from summer camp. Um, he's really into musical theater, and that's not how I know he's gay. Um, the <laughs> second one uh, is very not attractive, mm. and the other one is married. So yeah. that's it. You know, I like, I, and they look up, they check up on me too. They like my Instagram stuff. So it goes both ways. Everyone looks up each other. I think it's just my generation because we started with social media, so we continue our social media relationships. Yeah. Out of the many girls I liked a lot, two of them follow me and will like my stuff. But I don't, 
I want all the girls that I liked and rejected me to get married. So it's just like seals the deal. You know, it's like enough. You're happy. That's great. Let me worry about me now. That's why I don't look anybody up. I don't want, I want to find out through the grapevine. Oh, they're happy and they have a million kids and forgot who you are. I'm like, perfect. I'm doing the right thing by not looking them up and following them and stuff. It just leads to bad. Yeah, just there's no good outcome, right? Yeah, just cut the ties. No, to everyone who dated Steve, follow him. <laughs> he wants to go to all his shows. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? I hate it when people like my. I, I don't like it when like my exes, even though I don't perform comedy. Just yeah. me producing comedy. I don't like when they show up when to my show shows, unless I invite them, but yeah. rarely. I mean, it. Ugh, that's I the have, worst. I have a guilt issue, so whenever I see somebody. I inevitably do something wrong. So I'm definitely not a perfect person. So whenever I see somebody like an ex, the worst thing that I did comes to my mind. And like, so if, yeah, if you are an ex and you're hearing this, I, I'm sorry for everything. But if I see you when I'm on stage, I will spiral. And it's <laughs> it will not be good for anybody. Well, except the audience, the audience, you know, the audience. It'll will, be quite the show. It will be funny for all the wrong reasons. The ambulance show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, the needle chest. This is this is just a guess, but I bet if uh, you were to talk to those people, they'd be like, "Steve, you're crazy. That was a fine relationship. I don't consider that a bad relationship. I had these three other relationships that were atrocious, but uh, I always thought you were very considerate. I would hope so, but I'm sure there's. Adam's just dreaming about dating you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, he's already like helping me with the therapy. I like it. Uh, I don't know. Like, there's, I have a thing with like, uh, with exes. Like, you know, I one day I would like to see that I want a lot of time to go by so that we can all live enough where you have enough experiences in between to be like, where you, when you think about what I, what I'm about to bring up, oh, that's nothing compared to what's happened since. Like you said, so I want time in between so we can both grow, but I've already got apologies written in my head. Like I was, as soon as I see them, it's like, okay, well, let's cue this one. And then, yeah, I'm all ready to apologize to a lot of people. You've got your bits ready. Yeah. They're like, it's like a set. I, I have my type five ready. It's a defense mechanism. Yeah. Like I can, oh. again, I can control this. I'm excellent with language. So yeah. I'm going to alleviate some of my own guilt by saying this. Yeah. But I bet the, per- like I've been in similar situations where, remember once I, I met a, a woman at a bar who I had known previously and I just went up to her and apologized and she looked me straight in the face and she's like, you were fine. Stop it. Uh, oh god it's like, even oh, thank worse you. yeah well, i was like that's it okay <laughs> i would I love that yeah, i would so like probably. it before the apology <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh i remember one time and this was a girl i didn't even date didn't like i was in school we were doing like some project or something and she had an idea and i laughed and i was like ah, i don't know about that and then we were like trying to think of how we were going to do this project. And I said that, and it was I was in my head for 24 hours. And then I saw her, and I told her I was sorry. And she's like, what are you talking about? I don't even remember that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, oh, God, this is worse. So uh, it's some a lot of it's self-created problems, I guess. Well, some of it. Or like what lets you be really good on stage, you're good as a writer, is also going to trap you in personal relationships where you perseverate on, yeah. on these thoughts. That's called a reframe. We used to have to do that oh. all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's... If the anxiety is what makes me such a great writer, I guess I'll keep it. Because, but... It doesn't mean you have to keep <laughs> the symptoms. Yeah. Have you had a panic attack after the first one? Yeah, but they were never as bad. They haven't been as bad. I've had more mental than physical ones. 
I had a couple, maybe one or two during that time from when I, when I was running it. It was never during the sets. It was never about the jokes. It was like, is this going to happen? And is it too early? Are, are my peers going to uh, think I don't deserve it? That kind of thing. And it was a lot of you, Jessica, walking me off ledges and Caitlin walking me, like talking me off. And, and my parents, like, it was like to get something you dreamed of was scarier than than not having it. Yeah. So I did go through a couple of those. And then post late night, I was like, well, what do I do next? Is it, do it, is this the highest achievement I'm going to have? Is it, it was a lot of that. And it's like, uh, just work through it. Figure it out. It'll happen. People have done it before you. People are going to do it after you. It's it's fine. And uh, so, yes, I've had a few. I, uh, I'm getting really good at it. Good. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I, once they uh, once they come, they do tend to come more, afterwards more frequently. Oh, great! Uh, some a lot of people report that they aren't as intense, like you said. Uh, sometimes they'll Agreed. happen in clusters and then never happen again. Oh. Uh, people who I, I just I can't say who they are because they kind of told me in confidence, <laughs> but it is a, a similar thing to their post success. So after yeah. they've achieved these things they've worked for their entire lives, yeah, they'll be I don't know maybe at a, a card room like the bicycle casino. Yeah. Just play your hand <laughs> of poker, and then three, two, one, hit the floor. They right. think they're having a heart attack, get taken to the hospital. I, I remember hearing an interview with Ray Romano. He just wrapped up Everybody Loves Raymond, and his therapist is, was like, uh, you're going to want to do twice a week now. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then sure enough, not that long after, he was going twice a week. And it's like, oh, okay, now I understand. I mean... Not as big of a deal, one late night and a nine-year sitcom, but, but to me, exactly, it is. Which is all that matters. It's, yeah. It's, it's to the person experiencing it. Yeah. So I do understand, like, uh, just set, I'm a big goal type guy too, so I just set another goal. Mm, chase, let's chase that now. Make, I mean, just keep running and try to keep it behind you, and, and uh, at the end of the day, hopefully you're just exhausted from chasing your dream that you don't worry about anything then maybe another goal could be going finding somebody that you really connect with <laughs> yeah and then seeing him once a week because you'll find yeah. your, your toolbox will expand yeah. yeah and then you'll be like wow i can really navigate these situations well and I, you'll have bandwidth freed up yeah. to write better jokes i do oh well now that's and maybe adam will take his own advice too i should but i don't have any talent so it doesn't matter but i'm saying <laughs> there's someone like steve where you got this hyperactive brain if you yeah. can quiet the anxiety, yeah. then it unlocks all this potential and capability. Right. Until he said that it would make me a better joke writer, I wasn't sold. <laughs> yeah, I, I was saving. I was saving that to the end. Yeah, that was yeah, smart. That was a, yeah. a good idea. It's a trick. Oh, you'll get another late night if you go see a therapist. Yeah, okay. you'll get, a, you'll get a, a special. A good yeah. one, not a bad one. Bad one, you well, know, all sorts of bad things. Can that's happen. what I'm worried about. You'll you'll know. I don't it's know how to find. Secret. I don't know how to find them. I know that's silly. We can, I mean, we uh, we can hook you up with them. Well, also, a lot of times in the episode descriptions, I'll put uh, links, which aren't foolproof, but they're better. So, okay. So, so they're vetted a little. And, and then I tell people, too, like, you'll know within the first session if, am I uncomfortable because this is difficult? Or am I uncomfortable because this person is uh, inappropriate and incompetent? Gotcha. All right. And unless you're, you know, borderline or something, not to use that pejoratively, 
it's probably real. You know, some folks would just be like, oh, that person was terrible. It's like, no, that person challenged you a little and no one in your life challenges you. And that's why you destroy all your relationships. Wow. But, uh, okay. I'll, all right. I'll do it. I'll do it for the good of the, the craft. There you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll go see somebody. Uh, or they heard this and they'll just call me, which would be so easy. And I think an ethics violation. So you, you wouldn't want that. I oh, okay. I, I think you can cold call for services. I'm pretty sure. Oh, don't I'd cold to, call me. I'd have to look that up again. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I hope you feel good. I do. Yeah, I feel good. Like, I, I'm doing what I want to do. I live in the city I want to live in. I'm I, I'm in a happy relationship. You know, things are good. So I'm very, uh, I'm in a great place. And that's probably why I'm terrified. So yeah, things are good. 